0: Many years back when these old oaks were young Not long after the northmen had come A low and evil deed was done In the dark of the new forest In the dark of the new forest From the shores of Normandy King William came To Albion fair King Harold to slay With greed in his heart and a scurrilous claim He took the land for his own He took the land for his own
1: Welcome all to the 18th episode of History and Music. I tell you, we're doing it. We're living the dream here. I'm sitting here with Sean, deep in the young oak forest. He's here to enlighten us with his deep esoteric knowledge and take us back to, uh, to an age of conquest and tyranny and revenge. He and I, we're always here and we're always quick with the joke. But today is a special day because we have with us a conqueror in his own right, I call him John the Conqueror. He's uh, he's joining us in the third chair, and he's provided a, a very good, noble song that deserves our collective attention. So please settle in for a harrowing tale of conquest, curses, and revenge.
2: Ooh, love the alliteration, Scott. Yeah was that off the, Was that off the cuff? That was totally that was awesome. off the cuff.
1: Totally didn't write that down. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Sean?
2: I am doing well. Um, we're having some technical difficulties, um, which seems to be our our uh, mo lately. But uh, doing good. Yeah, just had so, just had some Zaxby's for dinner, so I'm I'm ready to go, man.
1: Some chicken, huh?
2: Yeah, ready ready to ready to kill some Anglo Saxons or some Normans, depending on you know <laughs> where you stand on the issue.
1: Well, I had uh, I had um, sushi from a, uh, a grocery store, so. I'm ready Lots to go <laughs> That's going really up. well. <laughs> I might have to get up and go to the bathroom halfway through this. Um, <laughs> well, like I said earlier, we're we're also here joined by John Taylor. How's it going? Good evening.
3: I am oh, doing great. My my dinner was uh, not even worth mentioning. We won't even. Do to address <laughs> it. Uh, something, I, well, something embarrassing. You know, it was it was a hamburger. Uh, which actually is great. It, we're, we're, I, I plan on talking about that actually a little bit later. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <but laughs> it's going to come up later. <laughs> not, the, not this hamburger in particular. Uh, but <laughs> no, but uh, uh, so John Taylor's my pseudonym. Uh, uh, it's, it, that's as good an introduction as any. Uh, it's taken from the early apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by the same name, who was himself an immigrant from England. Uh, which is how I actually, roundabout way, know the two of you, because I have uh, been around in the, the I guess, I don't want to say formerly, because it's almost too painful to talk about, but, you know, there the we're, we're the post-classical age of Deseret nationalism, or de- Deseret nation, uh, which is kind of how I'm in a bunch of different Twitter chats, and uh, how I came across the The movie chat, um, and how I came to know the two of you via Twitter. So, uh, desert nationalist, proud Englishman, which ties into what we're going to talk about today.
2: Totally, I like that. So, John Taylor, the apostle, later the prophet of the church. Is that how you identify?
3: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my 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 uh, my pronouns are apostle and prophet. <laughs> president i guess you president yeah
2: uh yeah, president pre- lord's anointed Eld- elder elder
3: and president are my are my pronouns <laughs>
2: please <laughs> awesome yeah. well good to have you on the show john and we appreciate you agreeing to come on here um we um we're always we're always uh Lucky to have like just great guests that suggest really good songs. Um, so you, you already did kind of the intro, kind of giving the folks at home you know a, a, a run up on where you where you are, where you're from, who you are, and how we know you. Um, let's talk musically though. So as far as like musically as a person, what do you listen to now? What you grew up listening to? What do you like? What do you not like?
3: So you know what's really interesting is uh, <clears throat> not to. I know we're gonna jump into the song later, but um, but it's, it's kind of pertinent. I didn't know anything about the, uh, writer of this song before we decided to actually do a podcast about it. I just really liked the song. Uh, but, and I mentioned that because I was reading about, uh, Frank Turner who wrote this song and it was very much like a, he's just like me moment, uh, which, which we all enjoy.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But, uh, you know, growing up, I was mostly into, uh, um, alternative rock, in the nineties, I am dating myself and sort of <laughs> letting on to my age, but uh, very, you know, very much. Uh, I am the youngest of seven, so I listen to a lot of music that my older brothers and sisters are listening to. So, you know, I am like kind of too young to be into grunge, but I did listen to it a lot, kind of the years following its height, because that's those are the CDs and tapes and stuff that cassette tapes that my older brothers and sisters had, in addition to whatever my parents listened to. My parents were. Uh, strict uh, beatles beach boys uh fans uh and, and that's relevant because we were very much like a rock and roll household growing up right um i later got into to punk rock but like my parents would viciously ridicule country music uh like i mean the, the the joke my mom would tell constantly was uh you know what happens when you play a country song backwards which is you get your dog back and you get your house back and you get your wife back and you get your truck back. And I mean, it was, you know, it was just, I mean, we just made fun of country music a lot. Um, and I listened to punk music and I'm not going to name any of the punk bands that I used to listen to because one of the most annoying things about punk rock culture is the, like the obsession with obscurity, right? Like the obsession with avoiding the mainstream. So I, I won't name drop one band because like name dropping the most obscure band possible as a flex on other people who don't know about your punk band uh was one of the things that i kind of actually hated about
2: which which is consequently artists. also it's literally a hallmark of that genre is listening right. to music that doesn't it, exist yet you know
3: <laughs> yeah and, and it's also like it's it's like you know painfully conformist right like you must you you must like the most obscure band possible, and if you like anything that's remotely mainstream, you're you're ostracized.
2: Yeah, it can't be uh, too seen. It can't be too seen, otherwise, yeah. good.
3: But what's funny is is as a teenager, so I mm-hmm. getting into punk rock, I started to get into, um, really, and of course, I liked it because it was popular, right? As as you ha- as one must when one mm-hmm. is into punk rock music, um, the the sort of folk fusion stuff that started in the late nineties, so uh, flogging Molly and dropkick Murphys. Uh, started getting that stuff kind of, I was reaching the end of high school and, um, it it was, it was a long process, but, um, there's a, there's a flogging Molly song called the worst day since yesterday. And it has an absolutely country music, steel guitar bridge. I was listening to this and I was like, is this country music? Do I like country music? And it was like, it was, there was this, like I, I backed away from the precipice for a long time. Um, and then I served a mission in French Canada and um, they being with their sort of like ethno nationalism and stuff. They're very much into like their own cultural music. Um, Celine Dion being kind of an exception, actually uh, they listen, they listen to like a lot of like old school like there are people who like today there are people who make a living doing touring and doing like call and response folk songs uh, in in French Canadian French and i just being around that while i was there was like kind of cool like this is this unique cultural thing so there was like kind of like the irish punk fusion thing that was going on and then there was this like french canadian thing that That I thought was cool, and and so I came back, and after I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of latter Saints, I come home and I'm just listening to a lot of different like folk music, and there was like a day that I just like woke up and realized that I liked what is essentially country music, right? Like (laughs) I realized that I I was listening to like Johnny Cash and being like, well, it's still kind of folk music, and then realizing that no, it's it's actually just country music, Um, and so that's actually what I listen to. Like I, I sometimes I'll get nostalgic and listen to like nineties alternative and stuff, but I, I mostly listen to a lot of, and I still listen to some punk music here and there. Um, but I mostly listen to a lot of this, like folk music old, older country music, uh, folk fusion, uh, type stuff. It's and really- that's how I, that's just, that's just how I came across this. It was just like a Pandora suggest off of a channel that I had curated for all this, like Irish, whatever stuff
1: that's awesome. I, I actually had a a pretty similar uh kind of musical upbringing, r- very rock and roll fa- family. My dad was really into Van Halen and and like Boston and Beatles and all that. Um and and I think my mom actually said the exact same joke to me um about <laughs> about the country song backwards. Um, but yeah well, and, but and country It was music later...
3: lost its way in the 70s right So like when my parents were young I mean, They used to joke about because this is a real song Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life That that was a, a real title to a real country song <laughs> uh, Because you know Rock and roll kind of killed country music For a while
1: Yeah yeah. And <laughs> then, Sorry, I, dude, no, I, kind of, I kind of had a awakening With country music a little bit too It, it was like shortly after my mission Where like I was uh, doing construction work, like framing my dad's house, and and I think Brooks and Dunn came on. Um, and I was like, "Oh, I, I was actually rocking out to." It. Like, "Oh, this is pretty sweet." I, I didn't I don't know. Um, I think something changed, and I didn't realize until that something changed in my brain until that and didn't realize until that song came on.
2: And- so I, I've got a theory on this because the same thing happened to me. I had the same upbringing <laughs> as basically you guys because we're all the same. We're all the same generation, but yeah. um. I, I, I always, because my, in my family, we grew up, everyone hated country. My dad mm-hmm. would always make fun of the Rhinestone Cowboy song. That, that was always mm-hmm. like his go to, like, make fun of country song. Um, and so when I go home from my mission as well, all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? This is kind of I'm kind of feeling this. You know, I, I I all of a sudden I relate to it. My theory is, is that when you get a little closer to the spirit, all of a sudden it's like, you know what? This is touching me. I don't know why. Yeah. Just in a small way.
1: <laughs> no, and it's like because my mom would always talk about like it's just so sappy and like it's like it, it's like the there's no nuance to the sappiness. It's just right in your face. But well, like you know, that, so I kinda like it.
3: <laughs> well, so you know, what's well, so what's funny about this right is that I knew nothing about Frank Turner, so I decided what like, I it, I hadn't. Uh it had been a while since I'd listened to the podcast. I did, when you guys first talked about me coming on, I went and listened to a couple episodes and, um, I was getting ready, I was like, you hey, know, we need to talk more like, Like, it's history and music. Is it like the history or is it like the music? So I was like, I better, I better bone up a little bit on both. But so Francis and this, this, this song. uh, So everybody started like a little bit of this song and it's purely like a folk style song, right? But the, the Wikipedia entry for Frank Turner starts out. Frank, Francis Edward Turner is an English punk and folk singer songwriter from Minnesota, Hampshire. His, he began his career as the vocalist of post hardcore blah, blah, blah. Uh, and embarked upon a primarily acoustic-based solo career following the band split in 2005. So Frank Turner has been on the exact same journey uh, that we have now, as far as I know. Uh, Mr. Turner is not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But my my theory about this is that um, there's nothing more punk rock right now in history than to love your own people, especially as like a, a European Someone of mm-hmm. European descent, the most punk rock rebellious thing you can do is, is love traditions and love your own people and love the history, especially the history of English speaking people. That's kind of the rebellious thing to be nowadays.
1: Yeah. I think of like, like uh football hooligans or like they're, they're, uh, the, and they're like pretty dang nationalist, like viewpoint on life. Th- those guys, um, whether it be their, their soccer club or their country, whatever they And, and that kind of embodies the punk rock spirit, I think. Well, yeah.
3: And there's a, you know, there's a, you know, Johnny rotten, uh, very, very surprised everybody when he came out as being a hardcore Brexiteer. Um, you know, there, there was, I think there's a sense that, you know, um, back when being, you know, just, uh, blithely accused of racism and nationalism, wasn't as common writing off the, the, the punk rockers or whatever, as, as fascists or Nazis or whatever, when most of them are are essentially doing it in, uh, we're just ahead of their time, right? They were doing it as a meme before lots of people were doing it as a meme. You know, they were sort of being written off as being these ultra nationalists and they were just sort of kind of, you know, embrace embracing the meme. And you even have the nineties, maybe eighties, uh, Alternative classic, take the skinheads Bully. right? So even even there, you see the kind of transformation, you know, from uh, just sort of like alternative punk rock to uh, to something, you know, something that is like a, I guess, a more mature <laughs> form of nationalism rather than just like sort of a a, a rebellious, directionless punk rock attitude.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Well, well, like you were saying, the most punk like punk rock used to be like fighting the power, and now. Because the power has swung so far to the progressive side that literally punk rock now is like getting married, settling down, having a family, and like loving your country right. and people. That, that's like the most yeah. punk rock thing you could do, but it's not portrayed that way because you still have bands like, I don't know, Against Me or um, – Rage you know, Against the
1: Machine. Like,
2: yeah, yeah, guys like that. <laughs> it's like, dude, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Zach La Rocha, who are you fighting against, man? Every organization I've ever heard of agrees with your politics. Who exactly? Yeah, he, what he, what he, machine he, are you fighting?
1: Dude, that guy's tweeting from Disneyland. He's not fighting any machine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the guy's a complete tool. So I don't. Maybe he's a bad example. But <laughs> anyway, um, well, cool, man. Well, so the, the song that we're that we're discussing tonight is um, "English Curse" by Frank Turner. I didn't. I just. I guess I didn't realize his name was Francis Turner. Who names her son Francis, but Frank Turner, um, and, this, and John Taylor. This is a song that you picked, man. So um, I know you kind of walked through like your 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 um, where where you came about with with this song. You kind of found it on Pandora, whatever that is. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, but other than that, do you have any do you have any special ties? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, no Wait, is
2: that like, is right it's right like soundcloud is it like similar to SoundCloud or <laughs> <laughs> um so is 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 are, I mean are, are you like of English descent and so it kind of spoke to you that way or like what's what's your your love of the song
3: Whew. oh that's a that's a loaded question all right so um yeah so I mean I I already knew it's so, a full disclosure actually I had to do a little a little bit of research. Um, uh, I, I felt more like that. I had to do more research of the music uh, leading up to this, because when I heard the song, it, it did speak to me because I was already familiar with the history. So myself, my, my heritage actually is uh, both French and English. Um, so I'm actually kind of on the, on the William side of this, um, this uh, song. Um, but you know so I, I'm familiar with the story of William McCarthy.
2: Pause real quick, John. Scott, are we recording? Yeah, so we're we're good. Scott can edit all this out. (laughs) So continue. We're talking about Frank. You're talking about how you're British and and also French, therefore Norman.
3: Yeah, Uh, yeah. Therefore Norman. Uh, um, It's actually it's it's unclear. It's unclear uh, whether my my family were uh, um, Norman French or or Frankish French because uh, they were actually Huguenots that fled to French Canada. So. The first English, French ancestor I have, we know the name of the first French ancestor I have, um, you know, a, a patrilineal like of our of our family name, in France. But we don't know anybody further back than that because um, there was a point during the the Wars of Religion in France at which everybody in the town that was uh, an identified Protestant uh, from our from our native town or our hometown. Was gathered in the local Protestant church, the doors barred, and the cardinal's guard set it on fire. So all of those church records are gone, um, and uh, I only I only know kind of who the the last to die in France was. I shouldn't have said that last name. I, <laughs>
1: oh, I can I can edit it.
3: Yeah, the last of my the last of my name to live in France uh, was, and then the first immigrant. Um, so I don't know, I, there's a, a rumor that we're Norman, but that mostly comes from just how how Fran, New, New France was settled later on. Um, but yeah, so I've got French ancestry and English ancestry. Um, one of my the, my familiarity with this story specifically comes from one of my most favorite books of all time, which is, I'm going to plug a book, which is probably crass and, and cliche, but it's called Great Tales from English History by Robert Macy. Uh, if you've never read it, it's a fantastic read. Uh, each chapter is a, vine- is, is a self-contained vignette on a famous person or event from English history. So you can you can read each each chapter start to finish on its own, mm-hmm. but you but they're also in chronological order. So you can just read the book start to finish as just a very cursory, a uh, really really entertaining uh, history of of the English people. And there's a, th- actually, so I'm going to, I'm going to be selfish here. <laughs> I listened to the canoe episode in that preparation for this.
2: Because it's I, the same time period.
3: Right. And it was, so, you know, cause I, I wanted to listen to an episode today to kind of get the flow of the, of the, of the podcast. And, um, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, I have to pedantically correct something from the canoe <laughs> episode, which was somebody said that the Anglo-Saxons, Saxony is in Germany and then Anglo Saxons because they mix with the English, but Anglia is actually also a region in Germany. Um, that was
2: me that said that, by the way. So, I'm, feel I'm, free I'm, to. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm fine. Go ahead. Um,
3: and there, there's, actually a, there's actually a third tribe that nobody ever talks about called the Utah, which are from Jutland.
2: Right. Uh, I always Utah. thought it was pronounced Jute. No, is it Utah?
3: Jutland, I think it's pronounced Jutland today. I think back then okay. it would have been, might have been like Jutland.
2: Yeah, because um, like Jutland, yeah. I can't
3: quite say, but basically- That's, part of, Danes, that's part
2: of the Jut Peninsula in like Denmark or something, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah. So they were basically like, so the Danes, the Danes were, are a tribe that occupied that peninsula after the Utes left for England, uh, along with the Anglos and the Saxons. Uh, and it, it, I only mention it because like English as a language and a, as a culture is, is relatively young. Right. So English as a language distinct from German uh, as a self contained culture in Britain uh, really starts when they, you know, come over in like the late, I think, 700s or 600s, something like that, or maybe early 800s. But uh, they were were totally distinct uh, from the natives, which were basically the Scots and the Welsh. In fact, Welsh is an Anglo Saxon word for foreigner. So the, the Welsh have allowed themselves to be called by the English. Foreigners Anglo-Saxon. in their own <laughs> land. Yeah, yeah, foreigners. Exactly, exactly, foreigners <laughs> in their own land. Um, Sorry, Wales. It,
2: next time, next time, next time, stay independent.
3: Yeah, but uh, yeah. So you know, I have some English history and, and some or English ancestry and some French ancestry, um, and uh, you know, even even taking that further forward, I have a lot of ancestors that even more recently are from uh, French Canada. Uh, my dad always likes to brag to people that we have ancestors who fought on both sides of the French and Indian War. We have ancestors who fought for and against George Washington. Mm. Um, he thinks that's cool. Some people are like, why are you my enemy? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm an American. Why you, I don't even know what war that is. <laughs>
3: um, but yeah, so you know, when I heard that when I heard the song, I, I, I was familiar with the story. And so I was immediately engrossed in the narrative. Uh, of the story and, and what it was, what it was talking about.
1: Well, yeah, and the song doesn't uh, waste any time getting into it, too. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, and and so uh, with, without further ado, the song. I, one one comment I want to make is, it there. It's funny because if you look at the lyrics, it literally says it starts with an instrumental. There is there are no instruments. It's it's literally a folk song, <laughs> like Frank Turner wrote, right? And it's it's so well written, and it's so uh historically rich that a lot of people think that he's just doing a, a new rendition or his right. own version right. of an old folk song and he's not he wrote this and there's there, i think it's a certain kind of guy that has this sort of talent uh dave king who is from dublin ireland he's a singer of flogging molly has a similar talent because they also have songs like this where it's like a folk song and you're like this yeah. could have been 500 years ago and you wouldn't even know and um so we are going to say something John sorry
3: to make yeah, sense, so, so it's one of the so one of the things that I, I love I, I have it as my notes something I want to talk about is um this this song uh I uh, really captures the spirit I think of um of the Anglo-Saxon culture that's discussing uh be, precisely because it imitates a form of folk song that is uh is like uniquely English right so like the the total lack of instrumentation when we think of like folk music that our ancestors a lot of it really is like scottish irish uh Mm -hmm. welsh english because english almost died as a language directly as a result of the norman conquest there's not very much english folk music that has has survived at all Uh, there you you would be hard pressed to identify any music today that you could say that it's sort of musical roots are in English folk music because it basically doesn't even really exist as a category. And so uh, there's a couple of things I really like about it, the lack of instrumentation, which is kind of like a uniquely English, um, English thing. Uh, It's a murder ballad, which is a, a part of uh, Anglo uh, folk music. Um, If you've ever, um, I think Johnny Cash, like down, I think it's called down by the Ohio or down by the, down by the Ohio river um, or uh, Lord. What's it called? Lord Randall. Um, Lord Randall's another famous one. So, uh, ballads about murder are like a really common theme in English folk music. And then, um, I'm not a, I'm not a musical expert. I do know. (laughs) I do like play an instrument or two, but, um, I think it follows the same meter throughout the entire song, but there's this very distinct rhythmic change between the verse and the chorus, um, where, Uh, Meter changes, like meter changes mid song are also a thing that you you find in a lot of older, Mm. like medieval English folk songs that you don't typically find in music that's popular today. so so, all those all those things just like i I love the fact that he really really captures the essence of it
2: yeah and that's that's what i was going to add is that supposedly a lot of that was intentional like so this this uh the song is um i don't even think it's the most popular song from this album but the album is called england keep my bones and it's from like 2011. So it's like over 10 years old. This is one of the songs on that album. And Frank Turner, when he wrote this album, it's like his fourth, I think it's like his fourth album he wrote. Um, when he wrote it, he said he said that he wanted to write an album that was celebrating, in his words, Englishness. Englishness and the idea of being English. And so he named the, the album England Keep My Bones, which is a Shakespeare reference. Again, another well-known Englishman. Um, and the the like the, the cadence and like the tune that he's doing that you're talking about John that was all intentional. He said that he had been listening to a lot of like folk music and he kind of did he basically sort of parroted in a way like the old style of singing a folk song where you you know you repeat the first verse last again and all these different things and that was all intentional to try and sound as authentic as possible. And I think he hit it out of the park. Um, but we should uh we should probably get into it, though. We've been doing a lot of preamble here. What do you think, Scott? <laughs> yeah, let's
3: do it. <laughs> is, uh, is, is this preamble? I, I don't even know. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: it's all enjoyable. We love it. Yeah, let's uh, let's start reading the the lyrics and talk about the story. Okay. And these characters.
2: Do we uh do we need to get into like the the context at all, or do you think we're we're too <laughs> we're too far into it?
1: Well, we we've kind of uh, alluded to a lot of the context. Um, okay. It's, it's okay. Do like, let's do like a, a thirty second context uh, dump if whoever wants. Okay, to do it. It, I'll,
3: I'll 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 do it. Go for it. Go, go for, for, for okay. it. Go for it. I only. You guys get to do this. You know, uh, a thousand more times. No, it's your I moment it. to shine, bro. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Make so, um, um, well, you know what? I mean, the, the the song's so the song's so rich in the history. I think we can. I mean, the, the you think it'll context. come out as we do it. I think it'll just come out as okay, okay, okay. we, we yeah. just jump in because I don't want to rehash it. Really yeah, We're
1: we, we kind of had the same thought last last episode with Greg, where it's like it's just kind of funny, to, fun to, to to discover it as you go through the the lyrics. So yeah, I like.
2: Should it. we say? Should we at least say the time period? Or are you or no?
1: Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, I think it's the 1100s.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. This, this is this is um, uh, talking about. Seven. There's actually yeah. a
3: specific date. I, it's it's rare to have like a very specific date, uh, but this oh, is they like, have the
2: they have the actual day. Yeah, yeah, second yeah. yeah. of
3: August, eleven hundred. Right,
2: right, exactly. Okay, cool. Sorry, let's let, go, let's let me go take you back
3: it. to the second of August, Yes.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a time of okay. So, um, why don't we get into the intro? Um, should we, Scott? You want to start with the intro? Yeah, yeah
1: it it starts with, many years back when the old Oaks were young, not long after the Northmen had come, a low and evil deed was done in the dark of the new forest, in the dark of the new forest. Kind of uh, just wetting your whistle a little bit.
3: Yeah, so there's a, there's, there's a couple things. I, I really liked what Sean said about, uh, about you know, capturing Englishness. So you've got the oak, which is... Mm-hmm. I mean just super symbolic of england uh, you, you've got the you know rivers of blood speech that talks about the, <laughs> the, the english oak right um the Northmen, which was their their uh their word for the norse for the normans and then i like also there's you know there's two things going on here a low a low deed and that's not a, we don't use that word in that context anymore that's an extremely old meaning for that word to say that some he's, you know, he's low born or whatever. So uh, you're really, it really just the vocabulary there takes you right into it. In the new forest, there's a historical context there, which is um, that, you know, William, uh, William, when he invaded uh, took, and this is kind of what the song's really about is William took a bunch of lands of the, the Anglo-Saxons when he conquers, He heavily taxes the Anglo-Saxon nobles. He actually he mostly, for the most part, just completely takes away all of their titles and gives it to his French relatives. And then even then takes away a bunch of lands from the church and creates a new, that's why it's called the new forest is he just takes away a bunch of people's farms and creates a forest for his own hunting pleasure. Which is really extremely aristocratic, you know, uh, top down behavior.
2: Or or based, depending on your uh, where, you sta- where you stand where you stand on the on the Norman question.
3: <laughs> we need a we meme, <laughs> Giga Chad we yeah
2: <laughs> our forest. No, this is the yeah. new forest now, and it's funny because um, just to add a little color there, John. It's it's New Forest is capitalized because that is quite literally the name of this place. And nowadays for Americans, it's almost like BLM land, you know, where it's like owned by the crown, but like the people can sort of use it. But it's in the south of England, and it's literally called the New Forest, and it's been called the New Forest for like a thousand years which is kind of funny. They still call it the new forest, but it's quite literally a forest. It's like a preserved area. And it's one of the only, or if not the only location in England where it's not fenced off pasture land that's just allowed to grow wild. But that's what oh, i so You're
3: saying that even to this day, it's essentially government. W- even to this day.
2: That's yeah. Cool. Even to this day. In fact, um, people that you can actually, people, people that, uh, well, we'll talk about it later. I won't, I won't, Sorry. I'll come back to that, but you can live in the New Forest now if you're one of the original families that uh, occupied it when William took it over.
3: Reparations.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're literally called commoners.
3: That's excellent. Like to the, in,
2: 20, in 2023. Right.
3: Like the commons. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah, so a low and evil deed was done. The Northmen, you're right. The men from the North, it's basically the the, the, uh, the Normans who are kind of like a mixture of like French Viking people that lived in what's now normandy france um but yeah that's 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 i think i think that's good on that verse um do you want to do uh verse two then mr taylor
3: yeah uh from the shores of normandy king william came to albion fair king harold to slay with greed in his heart and his scurrilous claim he took the land for his own he took the land for his own so we kind of talked about, you know, him dispossessing the English nobles of their land. Uh, but to go back to the first part of that, you know, uh, he's talking about William the Conqueror, who was the Duke of Normandy, and I I got to look at my genealogy here really quick. He was the nephew of Edward the Confessor.
2: Is right. That right. But he was yes, but he was also a, a bastard child because his dad hadn't had an affair essentially or yeah. had a mis- with some local girl and he's the he's the offspring of that union and he he had i don't even think he'd ever even been to england i think he was you know
3: yeah he had never been to england um but he had sent either uh, men or material or something to edward edward the confessor so edward is the the king that uh william almost succeeds (laughs) there's there's harold that we in there first we have to talk
2: about because edward the confessor dies without children yeah
3: yeah he Uh, Yeah, so he he dies without children, and and he was a weak king because he didn't have an heir. He was an old man. And so he, you know, the English will say that he absolutely promised his throne to Harold. The French will tell you that uh, even today, right, there's dispute over this. The French will tell you that he promised his throne to a bunch of different people at different times to protect himself from, you know, various challenges to his throne that when any one group of nobles or whatever whoever were challenging, his, challenging his, his kingship, that he would promise some competing faction the crown and that basically he dies and everybody thinks they've been promised the crown. I will say that, you know, William's story is that uh, uh, it was on his deathbed, you know, he, he visits, so yeah, I think he may have been to England because he, I believe, he visits uh, Edward, you know, basically on his deathbed when he can barely speak, and you know, like has this private conversation, like leaning over Edward's bed, and is like, uh, he just told me that I'm the next king.
2: Well that's so, that's what that's Harold that said that claims that, right? I thought that was that was the claim, is that we're talking about King Harold. His name's Harold Godwinson, who's like yeah. a an Anglo-Saxon guy who'd been living in England for a long time. So his whole claim was, I don't even think he had any relation to the royal family, maybe very distant, but he's he's basically saying, Well, King Edward told me on his deathbed, his dying words were, you'll be the king. And everyone's like, wait dude, come on, seriously, you know? And, uh, right. so that, that's kind of what starts like our, our, our story today. Yeah.
3: So not, notwithstanding, uh, one of the sort of, uh, really tragic things about Harold, whether, he, whether he, uh, was promised the crown or not, uh, Harold expels the last Danish incursion into England. Uh, very, uh, in Northumbria, you know, near the, near the border of Scotland. Um, He expels the very last of the Danish invaders and ends the battle only to receive news that his cousin, William, has just invaded England in the south. He executes one of the fastest foot marches in military history from the northern border of England and Scotland um, down to Hastings in the south of England. Isn't it like
2: 40 or 60 miles or something like that? Yeah, it's like two The time was insane. Yeah, for time it, was insane.
3: It's, yeah, it, it's 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 yeah, hundreds of miles. It's it's two weeks, I think, uh, to get down there. He gets down there. Um, you know, his men are exhausted from like a week or two of marching. King William's men have taken a short boat ride and been camping out, and so it's almost predetermined uh, how it's going to end. And you know, he, he, the scurrilous claim is, you know, again, depending on which side you're on, uh, you know. Williams coming over here with this sort of um, un English, you know, he's not English. Um, He hasn't fought, you know, blood and soil. He hasn't fought like Harold has. And yet, he's claiming to be the country, the king of this country where he doesn't even speak the language.
2: Yeah, and it, it's interesting because it says from the shores of Normandy—that's northern France—that's where that's where King William—that's where we're talking about—William the First, William the Conqueror, William the Bastard—all of them is what he's known by. William the Conqueror is probably the one that most people would have heard him by of him by. But you're right; the guy is Norman. He's born and raised in Normandy and basically northern France, and he spent the, the first part of his childhood essentially being like his. Dad's like, I mean, I guess he was kind of like the favorite or of, of his dad, but mm-hmm. he, but he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't destined for the crown. I don't think. Well, he, dad- yeah, so
3: the 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 Normans were uh, insistent on primogeniture, so, yeah. so as the father is Duke of Normandy, and that's part of that's part of uh, you know uh, William marrying a girl from Flanders, you know his father trying to negotiate all this stuff with. With he- Edward on his behalf, he's he's trying to find a place for his son because he does love William. Um, by all accounts, uh, William's right. father loved his mother and, and wants a good future for him, but he can't right. give him the crown of Normandy.
2: Right. Well, and, and the thing is, is, William's claims are dubious at best. I mean, he he does have a claim. It's just it's just very distant to the crown, and, yeah. and in England, and that's why Frank Turner in his in his song he says "scurrilous claim." Talk about a British word we don't use anymore. It literally yeah. means – that word literally means vulgar, yeah. and I think the idea is because at the time, is it a, it's a scandal, right? This guy is – his parents weren't married, and they never married, um, and which at the time was like a big no-no. So William spends the, the first part of his life basically consolidating his rule in Normandy and Normandy, France, and becoming essentially the king of Normandy through wars and intermarriage and all, all kinds of other things, and then he marches on, on England, Uh, To sort of take the crown because he does have a claim, albeit distant, um, along with all these other people uh, like like you were saying, John. And so, it's interesting that he's that the song says he comes to Albion Fair. Albion is the is the old 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 word for England. That that word actually the word Albion I think it means white, but
0: it's actually
2: yeah, it was, it's originally Latin, but then also Greek. That's how old it is. It's like this is right. this is like Roman era word. So
3: for... when the yeah when the when the Romans landed right, they they first landed uh, near um, Dover with the white the White Cliffs of Dover. So mm-hmm. when the when the Romans first saw the White Cliffs of Dover, they named uh, Britain Albion. They named the island Albion, you know, the White Island.
2: Right. So so he comes from the shores of Normandy as King William the Conqueror. He's, he's coming to slay King Harold. Harold is, is Harold Godwinson, supposedly promised by the prior English king on his deathbed to be the king. And right when he becomes king, as is very common in the era, all these people start revolting, all these dukes and thanes and whoever else that might have some sliver of a claim to the <laughs> throne starts having an uprising or a rebellion and basically trying to press their claim so he he goes north like you said and he, and he repels a danish invasion but it also has some english support and yeah. uh one of those battles is actually a very famous battle called the battle of stamford bridge yep. um and that's that's where um king harold basically kills at that battle um uh, Harold Hardrada, who's a, a Norwegian king who may or may not have a claim to the throne, plus all of his kids. And he, he basically emerges victorious as uh, he, he kind of levels the playing field, because after that battle, there's only two more claimants to the throne. Himself, King Harold, and William the Conqueror. After that, everyone, everyone died after the Battle of Stamford Bridge, I believe. Um, anyone that had a serious claim that was actually pressing their claim. So um, the Battle of Stamford Bridge ends, and right when it ends, that's when he finds out crap uh, William, my distant cousin with this random claim to the throne, just landed at Pevensey, England, in southern England, and he's in Hastings. And he's got this massive army of Normans. And so they, like you said, they rush down as soon as they can, can't even have a time for a break. They gather troops along the way, and they have the Battle of Hastings on October 14th, 1066. And as most people know, that begins what they call the Norman Conquest of England and uh, William the Conqueror and his, and his soldiers completely demolish the Anglo-Saxons and the British, and they, king, they kill King Harold Godwinson, they kill all of his sons who, who are there, so anyone else who had a claim to the throne is basically dead after that battle, and leaving William the only one still standing that had any sort of a claim.
3: Which, you know, I, I had to say, like, again, you know, as much as I, um, I mean, my son is named William, right? So, uh, I mean, and for this reason, um, but even, even so, even so, uh, it is easy to see or, or it's clear to me what kind of the other side of this is. You just, even just like a sense of fair play, right? Like, so Harold has to put, down, he has to raise an army and claim, you know, basically put down every other pretender, every other claimant to the throne. And then. You know, it's like it's like you wait for somebody else to win King of the Hill and be like the last guy, you know, not exhausted you know, or, or the last exhausted guy standing, and then you just come in all fresh and like you just have to beat one guy, which is like super clever, but also kind of messed up. <laughs>
2: Yeah. To be fair, the, the, the I think the as far as the number of men, we don't know how many men were, were at this battle, the Battle of Hastings, which is very famous. Everyone's heard of the Battle of Hastings. But they were fairly even odds, but I guess – I think the issues were twofold. The English had just marched like two weeks straight, fa- like quick as lightning to get there, so they were exhausted. But supposedly King Harold Godwinson's army was almost had almost no archers, and I don't think they had any cavalry they had they had pretty much only just foot soldier infantry and when he got there to meet with william william's got like some infantry but a ton of archers and a bunch of cavalry
1: yeah. and
2: we, which yeah. is really ironic for the british for the british or the english to not have archers their archery their, their right. archery you know didn't come into later, but because of that, I think it ended up being a pretty one-sided battle. Like Harold, all of his sons are killed, and uh, most of our history from from this battle comes from what they call the Bayou Tapestry, which people have heard of, and that kind of tells the whole story of William William the Conqueror, but we're going off on a tangent there. But that's basically what that verse is talking about, where William comes from Normandy to Albion, that's England, um, to basically take the land for his own. He's got greed in his heart with this vulgar claim to the throne that he has and he's there to slay king harold so um i've been talking a lot so why don't we have scott you want to do verse three
1: yeah now john was a blacksmith an honest old man he raised up his children and works in with his hands at his family's forge in a patch of land in the in the dark of the new forest in the dark of the new forest so
3: I think was, this is the first part where we go fictional, right. We go into the the folk story
2: aspect. this of guy it. this guy's made up this John it, guy. but he's
3: but his name's John Smith, right? So like again, going back to the you know, the essence of Englishness, you can't think of a a more English name than John Smith or a more English profession than being a blacksmith. So you know this is John Doe. this is you know Joe regular. Joe the every the
2: everyman. Yeah.
3: yeah, this is yeah, every the everyman who lives in the forest. You know, it's not. It's it's not even the New Forest yet, right? Like he just lives on his land, and owning land is an, is is a particularly English thing. Um, I'm going to go off on a, like a, a side tangent here, <laughs> where, um, uh, because un, under my pseudonym, I uh, before a bunch of my a bunch of uh, disgusting communists tried to ruin the lives of me and my friends uh, by exposing us on, uh, on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I, I had this extremely successful Twitter, uh, thread where I broke down the history of beef in England and basically, you know, the English going way, way back to the VIT, uh, had a tradition of respecting individual property rights, um, that eventually evolves, evolves into to capitalism, a system that, the English adopt earlier than, than everybody else. Um, and this is, this is gonna, this is relevant to the song, right. And the, the refrain that we're going to hear later, but owning, owning land as a commoner or owning land, even just like as a middle-class person is something that is at this time. I mean, just essentially completely unheard of in anywhere but England, because England is this it's a tiny little Island which makes it e- a little bit easier to protect. It's why it's been, you know, well, you know, much sought after by a bunch of other Europeans. And it's been a wealthier country than the rest of Europe for a very, very long time. Again, part of which owing to it being this sort of island fortress, and then also um, them having this tradition of, of respecting the rights of commoners and respecting the rights of common men, because why build anything if the king's just gonna come along and take it, right? Um, and there's this, there's this sense in, across many, many centuries of English history where your know, respect for the individual right uh, is what allows people to believe that they can build something uh, permanent for their family. The, the, the thing about beef was about how uh, you know, cows are actually really, really expensive to, to grow, uh, which is why like, Europeans for a long time would never, like they basically only belong to like, the gentry. Um, but regular Englishmen eat beef, because like a regular Englishman can become middle class can become moderately wealthy in a way that other Europeans uh, can't and that's been true for a very very long time so taking an Englishman's land is just about the most un english thing you can do right like a, a writ a writ of uh, what is it called a, a bill of attainder you guys ever heard you, if you're familiar with that expression a bill of attainder is a yeah. is a bill is a law that's written to uh, dispossess a specific individual so we can write a tax that's universally applicable to everybody that's fair but the you know take Sean's land law right if, we, if we're going to pass you know House bill 207 the the bill to take Sean's business away from him like that is uh, that's you know it's, it's written in the Constitution because that's been a, a right of Englishmen for a very very long time is that you can't uh, you can't target an individual's property. Uh, even as even as the monarch
2: yeah well and and that's what that's what that cuz so that you're right this john that whole that whole verse is something that that frank turner made up it's not there's i mean there is based in history but he's not referring to a specific john blacksmith guy that we have record of but Exactly right. So th- that's the whole kind of the vibe of this song is that William is this conqueror. It's in his name, right? And he's literally just here to take all of our land. And that's what he did with this new forest is he, he comes here. The new forest is is uh, in, in southern England, like we said earlier. And what he basically did was there was already a forest there, but there was like some farmsteads and some hamlets here or there. And he basically consolidated all of them. It's, I forget what, it's like 15,000 acres. It's some crazy amount of land for English standards and makes it Essentially, a national park in the year 1079, um, and he just basically says, "Okay, you guys can all leave. This is now the Nova Foresta, the New Forest, and it's 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 owned by the crown. It's for the king to hunt in. But um, contrary to what this song would have you believe, uh, William, before he died, he actually kind of." I don't want to say deeded, but he allowed the people that had lived in the vicinity of the of the new forest or what became the new forest to continue to live there and uh, let their livestock graze without an enclosure or a pasture on that land. And that has been perpetuated from that time, 1079, all the way until today. And they're, they're quite, you can look it up, they're literally called new forest commoners or new forest foresters. And they're, they're British people who have ties to this land where they raise their cattle or their horses or their sheep or whatever, and they're allowed by the crown to let them run through this forest to forage. And then they gather them up every year to like you know sell off the young or you know butcher the old ones or whatever. Um, and uh, they, I, I was reading, they recently did a poll of like these 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 commoners in this area of like why do you continue to do this? It's 2023. This is so old. It's it's crazy how old how old <laughs>
3: this practice is.
2: Why do you still do it? And yeah. like I forget what it was. Like 80 percent of them said this is quite literally in my blood. We've been doing this for yeah. a thousand years. It's quite literally in my yeah. blood. So I don't know. I think, I think, I think it's pretty cool. That is awesome. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I,
3: so, so, uh, so this is, this is something I, I want to talk a, lo- a little bit. I think I alluded to this a little bit, um, but I think now's a good time. So you said, you know, it's, it's in your blood. One of the things I like about this song is we've talked about it sort of essential Englishness and it's really sad. I think that a lot of things that are sort of essentially English are taken for granted Um, because basically the world in a larger sense, English people specifically, and especially Americans are fish that don't realize they're wet because they're floating in the ocean. Right. So they're floating in a sea of English culture and they don't recognize it as English culture because you don't think of yourself as, you know, you don't think of yourself as swimming in a sea of air. It's just, it's just the air that's around you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of the crux of, of, uh, um, you know, when I, uh, when I sort of wrote down the, the, like the a quick history of beef is that people make fun of American cuisine, like, oh, it's hamburgers. Well, it's like, sure. fine right, Make fun of us for, you know, taking the most expensive meat on the planet and making it accessible to everybody by creating a system whereby individual rights are protected. Uh, people have, can have an expectation of, you know, reasonable levels of taxation and a sort of representative system where uh, the executive, the head of state, the king, monarch, or president, or whoever can't raise taxes without the consent of the people being governed. Which, like, make fun of that if you want. But, like, I actually think it's, like, super rad. Um, well, I think it's a really, it's really good, good
2: analogy, just to, just to add just a little aside here, yeah. is that how often – that's the whole thing nowadays is, oh, white people don't have culture. White people right. don't have history, right? It's all just some, you know, nebulous whatever. But like, no, you're you're literally living in it. Mm-hmm. Everything you see is the quote unquote white culture. It's English culture. It's German culture. It's Western European culture. That's what you're seeing. Our entire system of government here in the U.S. is like 95 percent the British system with some smattering of you know Greek democracy thrown and, in there. Yeah,
3: and well, or, and, and, and this system. Norman this Norman invasion is is a huge part of it, right? Because uh, William comes over, he replaces the entire nobility, essentially. He dispossesses the English nobility of their titles and gives it essentially to all of his relatives. Um, he replaces the English clergy with French cr- clergy. English almost died as a language because basically only commoners spoke it, which meant that the only people who... there There's a couple hundred years where the only writing that we have in English is the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, uh, which if you're not familiar with that, it's this history of... Of England that started under Alfred the the Great, I I want to say continued. Uh, I, I, they're probably still writing it. I don't. I, it's, basically, it's
2: basically one book, though, is what you're referring yeah, to, right? Basically they're one saying, book of English is all we have from that each, era. Each,
3: yeah, until um, you know, basically until Chaucer and uh, and Henry the Second, who is he's a Plantagenet king, so he's a, he's a descendant of these folks. Um, and also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in the same tradition, married to a French girl. So he was still himself very French, but wanted to ingratiate himself with the English and that he's the one who starts holding court in English and stuff. But English almost dies as a language. And um, are, you, are you guys familiar with the, the, the English versus French foodstuffs? But so I, I i'm a linguistic by i'm a linguist by trade this is gonna if you haven't heard this, this you're gonna find this super fascinating well, Oh,
2: so, is this the, is, this, um, is, this a, is this a meme or a joke or i mean are, no, no, is, this, is, this is real hit. so this oh, is it's real it's okay <laughs> <Is this, laughs> well, okay so because one one comment sorry i saw a meme like last week where it showed a picture of atlas holding up the earth and it said european food and then on, on his shoulders was Itali- italian and french <laughs> <and, and, laughs> that's it because we have all all european food standards
3: <laughs> right so no 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 no. so so for a long time right uh the only people who spoke english were illiterate commoners and you, you if you had any business before the king in a court in church or whatever it was either in french or latin and so um you know at the, the time that this is going on you know commoners are the ones who raise animals right like they're the The farmers are the ones whose profession is animals, which means that they're English. But the people who can afford to eat meat at every meal are the French aristocrats that William imports. And so, to to this day, in English, our words for animals are Germanically derived, and our words for the meats. So that it's in most languages, your word for the meat is like I'm eating chicken, I'm eating fish, I'm eating this, I'm eating this animal, right? English is like the only language I know that has like a different word for the meat derived from it. So you have cow from German kind, and then you have beef from French Beth. Um, you have a uh, bird from German and you have poultry from "Polai," which is French. You have swine from shine and you have pork from French "Pork." So like our words for meats are, are French derived, and, and this is goes, this goes across the entire English language where, um, you know, it bothered me in school when we talk about like, uh, when actually because I took French in high school, um, we, they, they, we she was talking about you know synonyms and stuff, and I'm like, why are you? Know, I asked her about some phenomena, and she said, well, it's like in English how you have smart and intelligent that are synonyms. You know, they mean the exact same thing, but like, but they don't mean the same thing because nobody talks about, you know, nobody talks about your smart quotient. You only know, talk about your intelligence quotient. Nobody talks about street intelligence. You don't talk about street smart,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and. And the reality is, is that if you want to sound, if you want an affect of um, erudition, you're going to use more words that are French-derived, and if you want to sound earthy and, and and common and approachable, you're going to use a a, uh, a language that's more Germanically derived. I mean, this is like you can you can hear people today, like you said, it's in their blood. It's in, it's in your it's in your blood to speak this way. When you like all the words that end in T-I-O-N, those are all French words. Everywhere, you know, erudition, um, escalation, these are all French-derived words. There's only about a dozen exceptions where they're not even spelled exactly the same as they are in French. So when you write academically, uh, it's about 30% English or Anglo-Saxon uh, words and 70% French words when you're like mm. writing academically or um, professionally or whatever. When you speak... With your family, it's it's a it's reverse. It's about seventy percent Anglo-Saxon words and only thirty uh, percent Frankish or Latin-derived words.
2: That's it's interesting. That ties into something uh, that actually came up on the episode that we did with our good friend Dr. Bennett. Um, we did it's episode twelve for those keeping track at home. Um, we did a a, a, a song about. Uh, uh, Genghis Khan or Chinggis Khan uh, and it, it's Mongolian throat singing but the idea came up of like how sometimes your language can shape your reality around you, the language you speak and it yeah. reminded me of something that I learned I think I probably learned it way back in high school in a history class, and it's, it's called the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis mm-hmm. and the idea is, is these two guys Sapir and Whorf, they have this hypothesis that, that basically that the language you speak shapes your worldview, and it basically shapes your culture and so that's why the Germans like when you when you say Germanic you know exactly yeah. what that means just based on that word alone. And the French have a certain connotation for them but, and, and and like their language their language kind of matches the culture. Right? So we and should, then the, we, the we idea is bring it back.
3: we should bring it back because I am an enormous critic of Sapir-Whorf uh d <laughs> I, I don't want to go I don't want to get into a sapir whorf beef, no pun intended.
2: Oh no, I don't uh, have a beef with it. I am not a linguist, philologist, <laughs> what have you. I have just heard of it and what? I just think it's an interesting thing because it, it ties into a little bit what you're talking about, yeah, where yeah, 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 yeah. you know sometimes the language can shape can shape the yeah. how your your worldview, if you will.
0: But we digress. But
3: bring it, it, it back to here, right? Like lest we digress. Um what's funny about this is you have the same thing going on for these people where you know, they're so, we're so against the Norman invasion We're you know, uh, William is this tyrant. We continue even to this day where people will talk about the Norman yoke, right? Like yoke, like an ox that has a burden mm-hmm. placed upon it. They talk about the Norman yoke. And yet, um, there's a, there's a good argument to be made that William reigned well, that he was a, that he was an effective King, if not maybe a. Particularly benevolent or or good king, right? So he was he was a great king. Maybe he wasn't a good king, but he was certainly a great king. And part of him, you know, part of him um, taking these lands for his own, as the one says, was part of something called the Doomsday Book. So William wanted taxes. Sometimes wanted spelled Domesday. Sometimes spelled Domesday. Um, but you know it was it was a sardonic. Uh, name given. It was kind of like the Big Bang. It was a sardonic name given by the Anglo-Saxon chroniclers that uh, the French actually thought was pretty rad. And so they <laughs> they went along with it. Um, you know, kind of like the name Mormon uh, for, a, for a time. But uh, you know, he wanted to tax the English nobles and and the church as well, the church-held lands. And so he, cr- he launched this massive effort to chart and map Every single land claim on like the entire in the entire country of England,
2: which is unprecedented for the time.
3: It was un- it was totally unprecedented. Like even in Europe, nobody had undertaken that. And from the English point of view, it's like he's doing this to tax us, right? This is like the ele- you know this is like the 12th century equivalent of you know the IRS saying they're going to um, they- they're going to require you to annotate any earnings over six hundred dollars. Like that, this is the equivalent, the, like, you know, and our reaction is the same as our English ancestors, which is hell no. But that, that, uh, that accounting uh, really did a lot to stabilize England because a lot of these dynastic claims and under feudalism where everybody's got these, you know, hereditary titles and stuff, a lot of it came down to these disputed land claims where, well, my, you know, my prince, my duchy, Extends down to this river. No, my grandpa said it goes down to the, just like the claim. But you know, you, my grandpa said it only goes down to this tree or whatever. It, and just like Harold and Williams disputed claims, William basically puts to bed you know all of these tiny little feuds all over England between all of these all of these minor nobles. He goes out and he says, we're you know, we're going to go through and and line by line. Uh, county by county, duchy by duchy, we're gonna delineate exactly who owns what, so I can tax you, which is the part that they really disliked. But as you point out, the consequence is that a thousand years later, uh, we still have the new forest. So, you you know, as much as as much as rebelling against the Normans is part of Englishness, being conquered by the Normans is also part of Englishness. Like they left their mark, and it's an indelible mark.
2: Yeah, well, and a lot of what we know about pre-Norman England is literally from the Doomsday Book. That's where the word Doomsday comes from, but uh, sort of. But the, that's that's where we know because when he when he made these these this this record in this Doomsday Book, it wasn't just to a. It was almost like a like a, a history of sorts because I think he recorded not only just okay how much land do you have how much you know how many cattle do you keep there but also how long has your family been here what was the name of this tract of land before the Normans got here, what did the locals call it? And so you oftentimes have the only place where you have like pre, pre pre-Norman conquest names written down somewhere.
3: Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. Because basically there, there is no, um, you know, there is no uh, uniform system of, of mapping, right? So we're not talking about like latitudes and longitudes. We're literally talking about land claims that are, uh, follow this creek down to the big oak tree, and then from the oak tree over to this stone ruin that the Romans built, and then go well, up. Well, they were the road sometimes called hundreds. The
2: they were called yeah. hundreds. Like how how far can a horse go in a hundred you know hundred miles or whatever? And it's like okay, yeah. well he's roughly about here. I guess I'll draw the line there and put a rock there. And it's like it's not exact.
3: Yeah, yeah so some of the, you know, sometimes you ha- you kind of have to dig down, right? So you're essentially resolving a bunch of like probate court. You know, like whose family actually owns this stuff and and going through all this. stuff. so he had to do, yeah, he had to do himself and well, not himself, right. He, he tasked, kings don't do this kind of stuff. He, he tasked a bunch of people to do all this stuff and yeah, they had to do like their own historical digging, uh, just to produce it.
2: And what are the odds that William would do all this quite literally the year before he died? Man, that's fortuitous. I yeah. tell you what, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's. But uh, let's keep going though, because we are we're, we're yeah. uh, we could be at, we out this all night, John. Um. So why don't we go to verse four? Um. That's where we are. I think Scott, you want to do that one?
1: Okay. King William rode out after his victory to ravage the land in his hunger to thieve, for hunting grounds in Wessex trees, he took the land for his own. He took the land for his own.
2: I think we already covered a lot of yeah. that. Yeah, the, the, victory, oh, so, the victory he's talking about is the victory at Battle of Hastings.
3: Wessex, by the way, is is a contraction of West Saxony. Uh, so there's a Wessex and an Essex and a Sussex, which is West Saxony, East Saxony, and South Saxony. And there's no North Saxony because uh, that was um, Mercia, uh, which which uh, Alfred the Great did not conquer in his lifetime. And so that's... Right. That's why you
2: have you, all the for, fans, for fans of the Last Kingdom, that's that's our time period that we're talking about there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and it's actually it's interesting to point it's out me. the time period we're talking about is almost um, our episode uh, thirteen, Canute the Great, King of Danish yeah. Pride. This is this is just after that time period because I right. think Edward the Confessor is like Canute the Great's. Nephew, or I forget the connection, but it's not too far removed from that episode, but same time period. So we still have literally Vikings like doing raids on, you know, English right. coast and stuff like that. So that's the era we're talking about here. But yeah, so he wrote out of his he wrote it out after his victory. That's Battle of uh, Hastings, like we talked about, to ravage the land and his hunger to thieve again, just insulting William's honor because the British don't like him. Hunting grounds in the Wessex trees—that's the New Forest again. He took the land for his own. That's the refrain they keep repeating because he's taking the forest from the people. Um, so then then the refrain is, but if you steal the land of an Englishman, then you shall know this curse. Your firstborn son's warm blood will run upon the, the English earth. <clears throat> so I only have like one or two very quick things to say about that, but I'll, I'll let you talk, John, um, on that one. Um, but... Um, the the, uh, the idea is is that um that that he's stealing the land from the people and what's kind of funny is these guys were Anglo-Saxon so they were only like half English a lot of these nobility but the idea is like oh if you steal my land the land is going to curse you or the land is cursed because of you and I don't know if that's because this era was it was sort of a superstitious era and so they just kind of had this idea that like oh it's 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 bad juju if you steal my my land
1: yeah but- I-, I was wondering if that was just like a the the writer of the song just kind of came up with a a fun curse.
2: I thought thing. the same thing because I, I I couldn't find anything about like a legit curse that people believed fell upon William and his family. Maybe they did, but I couldn't find anything about that.
3: Uh, you, so I, I do. So this is um, I won't quote it because who wants to be read a book uh, in the middle of a conversation.
2: But, well, that's literally, we, that's literally what we do on this, on this show, <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs>
3: uh, but, but, uh, in the, in the book I reference Robert Lacey actually does talk about this. So William Rufus was particularly irreligious. Um, William, um, famously monogamous. Um, William the Conqueror, William the Conqueror. Yes. Yeah. So William the Conqueror famously monogamous, like, un- like anomalously monogamous for his time and his culture. Um, And Had had
2: 10 kids with the same woman that lived to adulthood. Yes. I
3: mean, just just, sort of, uh, and probably some scar tissue, right? Some like daddy issues over being William the bastard. Uh, But famously monogamous and famously, you know, uh, contributor, you know, donator, sponsor of the church, sponsor of the Catholic Church in England. William Rufus, on the other hand, was famously irreligious, Um, increased taxes on the church, took church lands as part of, um, as part of this. So as you, as you mentioned, uh, Sean, William did, you know, return a lot of the lands uh, to the nobles upon his death. And William, the Rufus is going to basically back out, which makes him sort of even more, uh, pathetic and, and hated among his people. And then on top of it does the same thing to the church, takes church lands, increases taxes on the church and stuff. And so, uh, at the time, the Anglo-Saxon chroniclers talk about this, the, they see what ends up happening uh, to William, not you know spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> they see what ends up happening to William Rufus as as just desserts uh, for his abandoning God, but abandoning God and the people he was intended to rule. Well,
2: they call it an act of God. That's what they referred to it at the time. Yeah. 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 Well, and and just for for like. Like 10 seconds of context here. You're right. William the Conqueror, famously monogamous. He married this woman named Matilda, who was from Flanders, from a powerful family. And, and from, by all accounts, loved her, faithful to her, had no mistresses of any kind, which was basically unheard of at the time, had 10 kids that lived to adulthood, also unheard of from this time. And he had four sons. So the guy had everything going for him. His oldest, his William the Conqueror's oldest son, um, whose name was, I think it was Robert, Uh, he kind of had some issues it almost like seemed like he had daddy issues he kind of went off and fought in the crusades for a bit but never really got around to becoming king and i I couldn't really figure out why but i won't spend a lot of time on that so his uh the, the next the next son in line for the throne um was um oh man it's so hard to freaking keep these guys uh straight i think it's richard was his name um Richard of Normandy was his name. He was, he was King William's second son, William the Conqueror's second son. And he, uh, so he was basically next in line for the throne after William the Conqueror dies. And one day when he was like 16 or 17, he's riding a horse through the New Forest, after it's called the New Forest, hits a low-lying branch and dies. So, talk about a curse. Like, that's why, I mean, that's why it, it, it seems like it's, it's almost too good to be true. So, after that happens, the next in line is William II, sometimes called Rufus or William Rufus. Rufus being the Latin word for red because he may have had red hair as a child or a red face. But William II or William Rufus is his name or Rufus the Red, becomes the King of England upon William the Conqueror's death. And, like you said, famously, the guy was real anti church. Um, and I mean, there's rumors that he was gay or a sodomite. There's all kinds of stuff to try and smear this guy. But yeah. what is known is that he was not a, 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 a big a big fan of the church, a big fan of the bishops and everything else, and um, and, and not a real big fan of the people either. And so, yeah, so I guess I get uh, sorry. Popular.
3: I was I was I was kind of jumping ahead there because you know um, you're you're right. The, the curse the curse actually that we're talking about is, is on William for stealing the land and that i think yeah. I, don't, I don't know if anybody really saw it that way i don't I, the, the, you, you're right like the people calling it an act of god i think i think frank turner's kind of taking liberties here there's a historical attestation that people saw it as an act of god uh they root Ruf- they see Ruf- Rufus's death as an act of god but uh, only his it's curse, only his
2: death though on only his right. death though not the curse that's a Frank. Right. I think it's Frank Turner Yeah, Turnerism yeah that he that, put that in I think
3: I think you're right. I think the, the curse on William for stealing the land of Englishmen is, is you know, uh, you know it's, it's Frank Turner's taking it from uh, sort of scant history to tall tale
2: right Absolutely. yeah yeah so william's got one son who's sort of estranged and he has one son that died in the new forest from hitting a low-lying branch on a horseback ride william's yeah. dead now william is dead now but he set up the new forest and william the second although also called william rufus is now mm-hmm. the actual king of england not a popular guy with basically anybody but maybe some of his nobles doesn't never got married never had kids um and that kind of takes us into um verse 5 unless you guys had something else to say about like the curse or like this stuff but I think I think it's no no, no,
3: no, no, you know. no I think it's, you know I'll, I'll go for it you know, now King William's yep. son was called Rufus the red he took up the crown when his father was dead and he rode the hunting grounds in his stead in the dark of the new forest in the dark of the new forest uh Frank's kind of just skipping all that history about there being there's a, there's a separate heir to the Duke of north like part of you know uh part of what's going on is there's a uh, William has split the crown, you know, he split his titles. He's given the Duke of Normandy, mm. um, the Duchy of Normandy to a different yeah, son. When he
2: dies, he split it between all of his kids. Right. All, all his sons, um, all of his, all of his Right. Which as we
3: all know, always turns out really well.
2: It always and, works out wonderful. <laughs>
3: right. So the Duchy of Normandy is given to one son. And then uh, the crown of England is given to uh, Rufus the Red. And we just kind of skipped to the part where Rufus is now uh, king of England. And I don't think there's much more to say there. Uh, if we go on, uh, yeah,
2: but it, well, it does say but, he. So he's at the, the story takes place. The scene now. It's setting the scene. He's riding through the forest hunting. So he's on a yeah. hunting trip now, riding through the forest. That's kind of where our scene is taking us now.
3: Right. And I, and I want to allude. this because I kind of alluded this to earlier. I am now. I am going to read. So Rufus kind of goes back on his father's trend of you. Know, his father comes in, kind of rules with this you know, with an iron fist, and then upon his death kind of tries to, to somewhat make amends and, and build a, a relationship with the nobility. But Rufus goes right back to the, the hunting grounds being exclusively for the nobility. Here's Robert Lacey's account of what the new forest was like. <clears throat> More than 70 forests around England were eventually to be designated royal hunting preserves where special forest laws were fiercely enforced by the king's foresters and woodwards. Anyone caught hunting deer, boar, or other game there was punished with blinding or mutilation. You could be punished just for carrying a bow and arrow. People inside the royal forest areas, which included open fields and whole villages, were not allowed to keep dogs unless the animal had been disabled from hunting by having three digits cut from one of its front paws. These are the years when rabbits and pheasants first appeared in England, introduced by the Normans to add to their hunting pleasures. But for Saxon farmers, these new arrivals, like the royal deer, were simply simply crop consuming peasant pests, so that's hmm. what William kind of establishes, and then like as you said, he kind of tries to extend this olive branch, and William Rufus really isn't interested in maintaining that in any way.
2: No, and 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 it should it should be noted, um, I, I going back to Frank Turner, the, the guy himself is British. He's one of Probably three people I know that are British, and when they sing, you can tell they're British. The other one being, <laughs> the other one being Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons, and then all those kids in um, "The Wall" by Pink Floyd. That's it. Those are the only people that you can tell are British when they <laughs> sing. <laughs> but um, I, I actually watched a couple of live videos of him singing this song, and without fail, almost every time he's at a show doing this song, he starts off by saying, "Hey, you know, I'm Frank Turner. I'm from the south of England, a place called Hampshire." I'm going, to, I'm going to sing a song about something that happened um, near where I grew up in Southern England, and it's a true story. This really happened. And I, I think it should be noted that Frank Turner himself, while he wasn't necessarily born in England, he was English, because his parents were mm-hmm. English. He grew up um, outside Southampton in this little tiny town um, that's basically only like 30 or 40 miles from the New Forest. So he's, he's writing a story about some place that he would have known as a child. Um, Which which kind of takes on a whole new meaning because he's basically singing about something that his ancestors like grew up around. He grew up around, you know, and so a little bit more tied to the land uh, with with it with the song.
3: His wiki page says that he was born in Bahrain, which I cannot think of anything more English, ironically, than being born in, you know, a a former (laughs) colony, like like Rudyard Kipling, you know, famous Indian
2: right yeah yeah there's so many of those i mean J.R. tolkien was the same thing born in south africa to british parents and it's like but he but i was reading about that as well and i guess he uh frank turner moved back to england like as a child and first he settled in, like winchester and then he settled settled in meonstoke or some other um, some town i've never heard of but i, I looked it up but it's only like 45 45 minute drive 30 minute drive from the new forest but um That's, that's why I think that's why he chose to do this is because he's singing about something that not only is it his ancestors, but it's like literally where he grew up. Yeah. So, um, we are on, let's see, we talked about the, the, um, we're at the verse six. Yeah. John's uh, curse. Yeah, Scott, why don't you do that one?
1: But John's curse, it called out and Walt Tyrell fired low. His arrow struck Rufus with a sickening blow and he fell from his horse to the ground below, and the land took him for its own. And the land took him for its own.
3: Yeah. So, Lord Lord Terrell here is is one of John's, uh, sorry, is one of William Rufus's uh, hunting friends, another Frenchman, and uh, he isn't. An, is a
2: noble, so he has a right to be there.
3: Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. So he, this isn't. I, I call this a murder ballad. Earlier, um, it, it is, I guess, in a way. Uh, there's no. There's well there's a little suspicion of foul play, right? So Lord Lord Terrell, he's one of William's, Rufus's friends. They're out hunting and, uh, you know, in a a Polish ambush is what we call it when I was in the army. uh, Terrell is firing in the direction of Rufus, trying to hit an animal and then um, uh, misses and hits uh, hits William instead. Uh, And what's, you know, hunting accidents, I mean, they do happen, right? Um, but what's interesting is is Lord Terrell immediately flees to France. So rather than rather than admit to the accident or, or try to face justice or anything, he immediately flees to France. And then even more suspiciously, uh, William's brother takes the crown the next day.
1: Yeah, and so he was he, there, he, right? He,
3: there, no, no. Yes, yeah. he he's also part of the, he's also part of the hunting party. And again, instead of mourning his brother or Attempting to address the murder, he simply leaves the hunting ground, um, and and heads uh you know heads back home to have himself coronated the next day, before he's right. buried his brother.
2: Right, and uh, that's I think his name's Robert, I think, but um yeah, that's exactly right. So basically, they're going they're hunting deer in in the New Forest, and it's this big hunting party, and you have the king, you have the king's little brother who's sort of next in line to the throne and a bunch of nobles. And at some point you can actually read this. It's almost like, it's almost like a, I don't want to say a who done it, but it's almost, it's almost like a, like a, um, yeah. Like a, like, a murder, like a murder mystery. Yeah. Like knives out. It's like, okay, who did it? You know, like, where was he last time he was seen alive was here. Where were you? You know? And who so had the,
1: who had the motivations? In, in yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Quibono.
2: Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but, uh, So what happens is they're hunting these deer and the party gets scattered. And remember, this new forest is like hundreds of acres in size. So it's massive. And it is, these are old growth. So it has a bunch of big old trees. They get separated. And often one side is the king, King William II, and this Walter Tyrell or Walter Tyrell guy. And that's it. No one else goes with them, allegedly. And that's the last time that William is seen alive. The next thing we know is... Walter Tyrrell or Tyrrell has fled to France because he quote unquote accidentally shot the king through the lung with an arrow and he died instantly. Now what makes this what makes this really suspicious, like John was saying, is that number one, this guy Walt, Walter Tyrrell, Lord Tyrrell, was known for being an excellent archer, for known for being a good shot. And so, like a like a like a, a miss is is unlikely. But the other thing is, is no other witnesses. No one else was there but him. And then the third thing, like like John said, is after he after he killed the king and the king died instantly, he didn't even like notify anybody. Didn't pick up the body. He quite literally got on his horse and fled to France and like went into hiding. Now, if you're if you're suspected of killing a king, some of that makes sense from fear for your life. But what also makes us really suspicious is the king's little brother. Um, uh, King King William II's little brother, who is is it is it Henry? I think it's Henry. Um, yeah, Henry. Next next in line for the throne.
3: Technically, Henri.
2: Yeah, technically, <laughs> yeah, Henri. But he does he doesn't even go get the body either. He quite yeah. literally goes to secure the treasury, and then he goes to London to be crowned like days later, and Winchester. then has Winchester. Yeah. So he goes. He goes and, and, and secures the treasury, which is something that historians point out only usurper kings would do. And then he would go have himself crowned. And then he goes and like make sure his brother's buried. Now I get if you're trying to like stake your claim and get it all in there before the bishops come and other people come and like um, have their say. It makes sense. But when you look at the facts, that, that those are the facts. I didn't make any of that up. That's none yeah. of that is my my bias. That's what happened. And so when you look at it from a, from standing back, you're like, okay, that looks really suspicious. But at the time, no one thought it was, they all just chalked up to an accident. It was later on that people started putting in kind of their biases in there.
3: Well, I I think, so I I do think, you know, to to play devil's advocate, there's there's a very, very good case to be made for, you know, if you're just an extreme pragmatist, like, let's say you were just absolutely broken up over your brother's death. Even murder or not, right? You're just absolutely floored. You, you've also been raised to know that you are in line for the throne, right? You've been raised as a noble, you've been raised as a gentleman, you've been raised as a leader. What, what's your concern? Dynastic war, right? Rebellion. I mean, this is a very, very new dynasty. You know, the, the, the French... Hold on, England at this time is extremely tenuous.
2: Like My um, second generation, yeah.
3: Um, and and, and you know, there, the areas he knows he's, he you know he knows his brother's not well liked. He knows their family's presence and the entire uh, the Norman yoke, right, is uh, is badly hated. And so uh, you know he knows that. You know, I mean, like I said, even even if you were totally broken up over your brother's death, I mean, it's time to to man up. You're a king now. Whether you like it or not, you know you're. I mean, really, effectively, you're a king the moment your brother's dead. So, what are you going to do? You know, I've got, I've got to make sure that I've got money, weapons, and the crown. You know, as there's any way, any way you slice it, that's what that's what needs to happen next, anyway. So, I, I yeah. there's, I, you know, I think I think Tyrell's actions are a lot more suspect than than his brothers. Whether they were in on it, whether it was an accident or not, whether the brother was in honor or not uh, the, the, fact, the fact that Tyrell fled to France, right? That their their family's over there. I mean you would you think you if you thought you were gonna get in trouble, you'd flee somewhere where uh you know their anywhere cousins Normandy. Yeah. Any, anywhere but where anywhere but where your victims family are also the monarchs.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah. Well and uh and what what's what's interesting about this story too is because it's so freaking long ago. Like this, this event that we're talking about um, is is from um, is from. Let's see, when was this? We're talking about his death was on August second of eleven hundred. So that's when this happened. This event we're talking about, we know the exact date, August second, eleven hundred is when is when William II was killed by this arrow. Um, and it, it's so long ago that you can have people. 300 years later putting in their little biases or their errors and rec- records or whatever. And even that is so long ago that it basically becomes gospel mm-hmm. because you would have something 500 years later written about this where the guy just hated, hated the Normans. And he's, he's saying all kinds of crazy stuff about William II. And, and that's 500 years after this. That's still 500 years from now, 500 years ago. Like that, that's just so much time has passed that, yeah. That you could you could have you could have all kinds of biases creep in there, and you would never know because it was such a long time ago. Like this is barely written down. You know, it's written down on a tapestry, for the most part. Yep. But but uh,
1: a fun little uh fact. The um, Sir Walter Tyrrell. Apparently he there's there's still a uh a pub named after him. Just yeah, right west, just west of Southampton. Yeah,
2: right down the right down the road from where this happened. They have a pub mm-hmm. for him and actually so allegedly the spot where um William the 2nd died, there there used to be a tree growing there allegedly, but mm-hmm. today you can actually go there today and there's a big like obelisk thing there yeah. that was that was put up in the 1800s that basically allegedly marks the spot and That spot, we don't really know if that's where he died, but it's sort of tradition holds that's where he died. But King George III, like George Washington, tyrant King George, like Revolutionary War King George, visited that spot. And there's like an engraving there that like him and his wife went to visit it, like Revolutionary War era. Like it's just so long ago, and it's so steeped in history, it's amazing. It's just, it blows my mind but awesome. yes, there is a pub named after the guy that killed him. Um, and there's also that the spot is marked where he died. Um, but then it says that the land took him for its own. So rather than him taking the land, the land's taken him back. Meaning he's yeah. taking him, he's buried.
3: Well, and I, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's evocative of the curse, right? Like this was, this was re- retributed for, uh, Rufus uh, spurning God. And, um, um <laughs> My wife's annoyed at how long we've been talking. Sorry. We
2: won't go Sorry. all right. we won't go off it. We not go off and it. we're almost done.
3: I don't I don't do this very often, it's okay. Um <laughs> you know, so uh yeah, it's evocative of the curse, right? That like this is the act of God. This isn't you know the the men who the men who killed him were merely um not pawns, tools, right? Tools in the hands of a vengeful god.
2: Yeah. Or in the hands of vengeful so-
3: nature. And a land, right? right? He's betrayed England. England. Right, right, and England, England, took him, is and England to took
2: him back. England took him back. That's kind of what's what's yeah. going there. But so it has the refrain again. You know, so if you steal the land of an Englishman, then you shall know this curse: your firstborns' warm, sons' warm blood will run upon the English earth. And then the outro is the first so, verse. Oh, go ahead.
3: Oh no, go ahead. So um, before just before we move on, I just, I just want to re- re- reiterate, revisit real quick the yeah, the. The, the thing about property rights and, and being essential to Englishness, you're know, the worst king. You mentioned George III, uh, William Rufus in the annals of English history. You're know, the worst. Kings are those that violate this sort of sacred sense of what it means to be English. Um, king John, right? Prince John is the one who's forced to sign Magna Carta. Um, at the, at sword point by nobles, now granted the, these rights were only really being extended to nobles, they weren't necessarily extended to all Englishmen, um, but putting you know, putting this sort of this um, this relationship between the monarch and the people on paper uh, happens with Prince John, and it happens for the same reasons, excessive taxation and appropriation of lands. That's why that's why Robin Hood hides out in Sherwood Forest, another one of these private king-owned forests that's an mm-hmm. affront to the English people's, um, you know, sense of noblesse oblige, their sense of fairness, uh, and their their own sense of their own rights.
2: Love it. So that that's pretty much the song. It ends with the outro as he sings the first verse again: "The many years back when these old oaks were young, not long after the Northmen had come, a low and evil deed was done in the dark of the new forest. In the dark of the new forest, and then the song ends. So." Um, really good song John I think we got a lot of uh content out of that one
3: <laughs> you, know, uh, you guys not pair anything now you know I can, I can talk about this stuff forever you guys can go back and chop it all up and it's you know I'm okay with a
1: five minute edit
2: oh <laughs> no no we're, no we're, we're, we're good man we're good I'll, I'll I'll let I'll leave that in Scott's capable yeah, hands
1: that's uh way too much work I, I'd rather just <laughs> leave it.
2: Yeah. So, uh, but in the in the um so John, thanks for coming on the show man. I know when I asked you if you had any songs to do, you suggested three of them. This was one of them, so we'll definitely have to have you come back on and we can do maybe the other two. for um, sure. For sure. But in in the last few seconds that we have, um the stage is yours for a short time. Do you have any sort of projects you're working on? Is there anywhere people can connect with you if they want to find you somewhere? Anything you want to plug?
3: Uh no, for you know, for the time being, um uh I, i've got i've got nothing uh i just want to see uh i just want to see
2: my friends succeed that's why i'm here today thanks man just, just you... a
1: rock star podcast guest
2: <laughs>
0: Thank
2: yeah you. it's all about us man i appreciate that so yeah thanks for coming on man really good show um real i really enjoyed reading about this because it's the history of my people i'm also english and so i was like dude this is like me man this is like he's literally me um although for the english um, my, my parting thought is for the English: these people we're talking about, William the Conqueror and William the Second, are literally Hitler.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it, my one last parting thought is right that the uh, you know I my I, um, the, the reason I love this song is I do have French and English in, uh, uh, heritage. My son is named William Beckett. Um, you know, William from William the Conqueror, and then Beckett from Thomas Beckett, who was famous for opposing the Norman yoke. He's a, he's sort of the anti. He, he's the He's the, um, the hero to this anti-hero, uh, uh, Norman, Norman movement.
2: Awesome. Scott, any, any parting thoughts before we have the song play us out?
1: No, just, uh, just reiterate. Thank you, John. Uh, Thanks. For, for, Thanks for having me on. It was a blast. Yeah, this was awesome. Um, we'll definitely have you on maybe a little bit earlier in the day. Um, <laughs> but, uh. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Tell your wife Tell your wife we said we're sorry. <laughs> All
1: right, I
3: will do. I'll tell you okay.
1: something you do. <laughs> yeah, well, so we'll have, uh, have the song play us out, um, and uh, we'll see you next time.
0: Many years back when these old oaks were young, not long after the Northmen had come, a low and evil deed was done in the dark of the new forest, in the dark of the new forest. From the shores of Normandy, King William came To Albion Fair, King Harold to slay With greed in his heart and a scurrilous claim He took the land for his own He took the land for his own Now John was a blacksmith, an honest old man He raised up his children and he worked with his hands And his family's forge in a patch of land In the dark of the new forest In the dark of the new forest King William rode out after his victory to ravage the land and his hunger to feed for hunting grounds in the Wessex trees. He took the land for his own. He took the land for his own. But if you steal the land of an English man, then you shall know this curse. Your firstborn son's warm blood will run upon the English earth. Now King William's son was called Rufus the Red He took up the crown when his father was dead And he roamed the hunting grounds in his stead In the dark of the New Forest In the dark of the New Forest But John's curse it called out and Lord Tyrrell fired low His arrow struck Rufus with a sickening blow And he fell from his horse to the ground below And the land took him for its own the land took him for its own So if you steal the land of an English man Then you shall know this curse Your firstborn son's warm blood will run Upon the English earth Many years back when these old oaks were young Not long after the Northmen had come A low and evil deed was done In the dark of the New Forest In the dark of the New Forest